0: I don't understand how the Department of Defense has an $800 billion budget and we give the troops every level of capability you might imagine. One person in charge, the Secretary of Defense, and the soldier gets every level of capability you might ever imagine in a theater of war outside of our borders, which works great. Absolutely massive respect for the military and everyone putting themselves in harm's way. The problem that I have, and I think the country has, is I don't understand how you have a million law enforcement professionals and a million and a half security guards, 19,000 law enforcement agencies, 8,000 private security firms, and the U.S. Department of Justice and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security have no federal jurisdiction over any of these people. There's no one in charge. There's literally tens of thousands of different budgets. There's no innovation process, no risk capital. And then we're wondering why in the year almost 2024, you have a security guard in a parking lot sitting there with a number two pencil and a notepad. And then we're wondering why it doesn't work.
1: Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Now, today, we're about to uncover the mind behind groundbreaking innovations that have reshaped the realms of technology and security. This visionary leader is guiding the development of autonomous security robots, ASRs, in Silicon Valley. Now, these ASRs are a unique fusion of self-driving technology, robotics, AI, and electric vehicles, and are redefining security in ways we've never imagined. From turning ideas into IPOs and raising an astonishing $120 million from 35,000 visionary investors, this individual is on a mission to elevate the safety of the United States to unprecedented heights. And now, the moment we've all been eagerly waiting for, it's with great pleasure we introduce you to the mastermind behind this groundbreaking innovation and the architect of a safer future, William Bill Santana Lee.
0: Greetings from Silicon Valley. Thanks for having us. Good to see you.
2: Greetings. Good to see you too. Okay, Bill, I've been so excited to talk about this, but before we get into this, tell our listeners, what is your personal fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation?
0: I think it comes down to one word relentless. You have to have an unbelievable amount of stamina to keep fighting the good fight to force the change that you want. And in our case, you know, crime and terrorism has had a massive impact on the country. The country's over 200 years old. We're on a 46th president. No one's been able to fix it. You'd be a little bit in denial, or I don't know. Out to lunch, if you think you're going to fix this overnight or over a year or frankly over a decade, this is going to take a long time, but we're making a lot of good progress and you have to have that level of relentlessness and stamina to really believe in what you're trying to do. Otherwise, the amount of no's you get all along the way is just going to destroy the the path to victory that you have. And you got to be able to internalize that now what I call negative fuel is to use all those no's to actually fuel what you're trying to get accomplished.
2: I love that. Relentless, dauntless, nothing stands in your way. So I really have a question. You You have a real purpose, and this is something you truly believe in. You can tell when you speak about it, anything you talk about publicly. It really is to make this the safest country on the planet. And then you just mentioned that you can't just do it overnight, and it hasn't been done. Why hasn't it been done? Is there vested interests that don't want that to happen? Like, what is the status quo of the safety of America right now?
0: Well, it's broken, first and foremost. I don't think the founders of our country ever expected us to build a society where going to school, going to work, or going to a movie theater literally came with the risk of being shot or killed. But somehow we just let this continue to happen. And part of it, it's structurally flawed in our country and the way the, the government is set up to handle this or frankly not handle this. And then I think like a lot of things, it's where does the money go? If you ever wanna find the root cause of anything, just follow the money. The structural problem is, and I've said this numerous times and people sometimes get critical of me. It's like, Bill, you're saying the same thing for the last 10 years. Yeah, well, it hasn't changed and we're still working on the same thing. I'm not gonna change my tune. And that's part of being relentless of, look, you know, we're focused on what needs to get done, And the message is not going to change. And the message is basically, I don't understand how the Department of Defense has an $800 billion budget and we give the troops every level of capability you might imagine. One person in charge, the Secretary of Defense, and the soldier gets every level of capability you might ever imagine in a theater of war outside of our borders, which works great. Absolutely massive respect for the military and everyone putting themselves in harm's way. The problem that I have, and I think the country has, is I don't understand how you have a million law enforcement professionals and a million and a half security guards, 19,000 law enforcement agencies, 8,000 private security firms, and the U.S. Department of Justice and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security have no federal jurisdiction over any of these people. There's no one in charge. There's literally tens of thousands of different budgets. There's no innovation process, no risk capital. And then we're wondering why in the year almost 2024, you have a security guard in a parking lot sitting there with a number two pencil and a notepad. And then we're wondering why it doesn't work. You know, it's a sad state of affairs. And frankly, and that's needs what to you be mean by
2: structural.
0: Yep. It's structurally flawed. The structure will not allow the local, state, and federal government to fix this for you. You are going to have to empower, enrage, get a massive cross-section of society to go, enough is enough. We need to change. And we need to kind of reimagine public safety. And now finally people are starting to realize, like, hmm, I guess this doesn't work. And so I, I think that's the structural. The, the money is the other problem. There's not enough cash coming in to innovate, right? So Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, would kind of all kinds of crazy missile systems, submarines and ships and what have you, but the country can't even build a purpose-built law enforcement patrol vehicle for the half million vehicles that are out there across the country. I live here in Silicon Valley, a hundred to $200 billion goes into startups every year. I don't know, well more than a majority goes into software. The part of it goes into biotech and then the other goes into other and almost zero goes into public safety, security, law enforcement or anything related to that. And then you're wondering why there's no innovation on the other side. Like the Uh whole thing's broken. And that's why not only do I see gold in them hills from a shareholder perspective, but I I think also there's a huge opportunity to build a set of technologies that would be priceless for the country. I mean, imagine the societal impact. You could cut crime in half in a city. What does that do to that municipal's budget, to insurance rates, to the property values, the viability of someone's local business, the safety of her family, like literally everything changes?
2: Yeah, it's almost too sane and too simple, right? (laughs) You know, when you talk about all these jurisdictions, there's no federal oversight, right? Everyone has their own budget and so forth. Is some of the challenge getting people to, do they not want? to have federal oversight on this? Do they think that that's too far reaching?
0: That one's a tough question because it's actually paralleled and mimic on the education side of things. It's not like the Department of Education controls all the schools and all the curriculums and all the budgets. When the country was set up, we kind of did a hugely decentralized setup for whatever appropriate reasons at the time or still appropriate today. But you have the same problem on the education side of things. Like we can't pay our teachers properly. You can't provide the appropriate level of supplies to the schools. Schools are running around doing fundraisers just to cover things. Teachers are coming out of pocket to cover stuff. And then we're wondering why it doesn't work. (laughs) It's structurally flawed.
2: Yes. And it's so ironic. We can't even, I mean, even law enforcement, we can't pay them to do the job that they really need to do.
0: And then the intersection, the intersection gets even more interesting. Well, Bill and Nightscope, you should go protect all these schools and upgrade all the technology so we can better fortify and harden the schools against intruders and mass shootings and everything else. Okay, we're happy to do that. We've been working on it. We have some schools as clients, but one more time, you can't pay your teachers properly. You can't provide the supplies to the school. Where is the school or the county supposed to just miraculously come up with a few hundred thousand or a few million dollars to secure the 20-odd thousand schools? You know, it's back to the cash. A lot of these are, as we've been discussing, structural problems that need to get addressed. And in order to address them, you're going to have to have some stamina because this is not just going to happen overnight.
2: Yeah, I would imagine you get a lot of pushback and probably go against vested interests. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had?
0: Stuff that you never would have worried about when you started the company. You never would have thought that Forming capital to build the company in the first place would have been a huge difficulty. You're trying to do something wonderful for the country, trying to do something positive for us to have, you know, relatively speaking, I know you said it in the intro, we raised $120 million from 35,000 investors, but I'm an ex-automotive executive. You know, frankly, I used to lose a billion in rounding. That $120 million was raised over 10 years, you're relatively speaking to the mission it's an insufficient amount of capital to execute what we really want to get done. And you would have thought it would have been relatively straightforward, but instead I got no, 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 and no. And so that's why we did what we did, which was force the transaction to occur in an abnormal way to get done what we wanted to get done. How'd you do that? Our, the rules changed a little bit in terms of uh, security. So before it was illegal to kind of raise capital from the general public and in twenty 20- 13 to 2015, things changed. So we're able to, to do that, but it's to basically stay on message, tell people what you're going to go do, and then go do it. And then we're able to get those investors to support us. You know, we, we raised all that money, no private equity shops, no VCs, no hedge funds. Probably the other challenge we're dealing with now is now we're publicly traded. Our stock trades on NASDAQ under the ticker symbol KSCP. And now we're dealing with a whole other set of shenanigans. So you've got Maybe a year ago, we had maybe 800,000 shares shorted against Nightscope. I think last count, we're at $6 million. Just because you have the legal right to short a stock and put downward pressure on it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And for anyone out there listening, if you're shorting any company that is in the national security interest of the United States of America, who's a defense contractor, who's trying to help law enforcement or public safety, and you're trying to profit, from putting downward pressure on that stock, not just Nightscope, you need to make better life choices. You're literally siding with the criminals and terrorists. Yeah. One more time. You're literally siding with the criminals and terrorists by trying to profit off or putting pressure on companies that are trying to do something good for society and you need to make better life choices.
2: That is a mic drop statement. It sounds to me like you have a plethora of things that you have to be relentless about. Tell me the ideal scene, like your vision is the safest city in America. What does that look like? Because we now know what the status quo is. What does that look like?
0: i give you two different answers. I think the first answer is, if you look at the top 10 safest cities in the country today, for whatever reason, they're all clustered in the Northeast. They probably have a median income of around $100,000, six figures, right? And the populations are... Tiny. They're they're really small. So that might inform some things, but you know, the rest of the country isn't that way. So you gotta kind of need to fix the problem. And so I think we need to do primarily one big thing to help the officers and guards do their jobs more effectively, to give them tools to basically promote them. So let's just do the math real quick. I told you there's about two and a half million law enforcement security professionals. They're running yeah. 24-7. So you can't triple shift a human. So at any given time, there's only 600-odd thousand humans trying to secure the 332 million Americans across 50 states, all right? So you don't have enough humans or physical deterrence. So what I would love for us to do over time is put a million machines in network of every shape, size, and form factor, one, to provide that physical deterrence. So simply, if I put a marked law enforcement vehicle in front of your home or your office, criminal behavior changes, right? So if we could put a million machines in network to help those six hundred odd thousand officers and guards do their jobs more effectively, you could actually deter the negative behavior from happening in the first place than trying to chase after the fact. And then we'd like those machines to, you know, have a massive AI upgrade overhaul so they can all see, feel, hear, smell, and speak. If you can get those machines to be able to be those superhuman tools for those guards and officers, then you've got a chance to make a real dent in the problem. And what I'm talking about is not some pipe dream or some crazy futuristic thing. We actually have this working in small volumes across the country. And if you don't believe me, you can go to nightscope.com slash crime and you can see the long list of positive things these machines have already done and we're just getting started. So I think if we can really scale that up across the country, we will make a massive dent. And I'm highly confident in it and uh, that's why we've continued to progress nightscope. That's
2: awesome. What, are, what is something that stands out to you out of all those success stories about how this has helped that you can recall?
0: I remember I was in a, in a car between meetings in New York, and uh, one of my teammates called me, this was years ago, five or 10 years ago, and he said, you're not going to believe what happened. And I said, what? He's was like, well, we just helped a law enforcement agency issue an arrest warrant for a sexual predator. And talk about mic drop. I was like, repeat that again? What? Wow. And that was the first time we had our first crime fighting win. We were told by thousands of people, this would never work. It costs too much money. It's too complicated. You'll never get it to operate. It's too complex. And oh, by the way, physical security is not an investment thesis. You need to go away. And to have that call, then followed by, hey, we just helped a law enforcement agency arrest an armed gunman. Then you helped another client find a uh, fraudulent insurance claim. There was a domestic abuse case where a lot of domestic abuse obviously happens at home and then ends up in the workplace. So we're able to help law enforcement there. We had another client actually locally around here. They were experiencing, I think it was five to 10 stolen vehicles a month. I put the machine there and now it's down to zero. You can't tell me this is not working. You know, by the way, we have clients that have renewed contracts for four years, five years, six years, seven years. You don't get a client to pay you full price if you're not creating real value, right? So I know this stuff works. We're just getting started. I mean, we, we're, there's a lot more capabilities that we need to add, but we've proven now that we've operated more than 2.3 million hours across the country and generated millions of dollars of revenue that we've got the foundation to build on. That's
2: beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. It seems to me like an America that could run that way would give the human capital, the people, the ability to do more things to build community relationships where they are if they're being assisted by these ASRs. That's a big responsibility for police and security, and they want to be a part of their community and build those relations.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you know we've got a few things up our sleeves that would help communities in the future. You also have to think about the guards and the officers themselves. Their lives are less valuable than a soldier in a theater of war. That's these people get up every morning and willing to take a bullet for you and your family. And the level of technology that we provide to them as a country is beneath the dignity of this nation. And we have to fix that injustice. And some of these, you got to wonder if they're actual jobs. If you look at the guarding industry. It's 100 to 400 percent employee turnover rates for the guard guarding companies. What does that mean? 100 to 400 percent. That means every three months you have a new team, or every year you have a new team. The amount of people quitting is significant. Well, why are they quitting these jobs? Well, part of it is you don't give them any tools to do their job, and then you're wondering why they're not willing to stick around. But imagine if you had an app and instead of that job getting deleted every three months, that guard got promoted and now had an app and seven security robots reporting to them. And now they could actually do their job. Like maybe they'll probably stick in the job. Again, we'd have no oversight over the whole thing. So it's time to disrupt the whole thing.
2: You know, it reminds me of like tragedies that happen around the country and you don't really notice who the real heroes are until, I mean, truckers became the heroes during the pandemic, right? And these jobs that we so depend upon that we don't even realize these are our daily heroes and there's yep. not enough acknowledgement for them. Tell me more about the ASRs. I know you have different types. Tell our listeners more about them. I'm really curious.
0: So as often say, we, we work for Big Brother and we're creating all these robots to come and kill everyone and take everyone's job. And so we're very glad to tell you all about them. Uh, just kidding. But a lot of people, they actually believe a lot of the silliness that ends up in, in the media, frankly, and, and on the silver screen. But these machines, are basically, there was two ways to look at them. One is they're very similar to a self-driving car. So they use LIDAR, sonar, accelerometers, A bunch of crazy software to be able to autonomously navigate indoors or outdoors in really complicated areas. So inside of a mall or up and down an eight-story parking structure with vehicles and and people all over the place. And you need to do this 24-7. And I think that part, that last part, people don't understand how difficult this is. So if I told you to drive your car for the next 30 days, 24-7, we'll take care of your fuel or recharging as needed. Probably at the end of the 30 days, it would be assumed that you probably need some maintenance and service, like probably something's going to go wrong. And as an ex-auto executive, I think depending on how fast you're going, over a period of six or 12 months, you probably voided the entire automaker's warranty for the lifetime of the vehicle, right? If you put it through that amount of duress and and pace. But these machines are literally running twenty four seven, And even when they're autonomously recharging, uh, they're also working. It takes a little doing to not just build these machines, but to run them across the country in the rain at night in the fog, you know, with a client down your throat, it's not easy. So that's kind of the autonomy part of things. And they go one to three miles an hour. And again, autonomously recharge themselves. And that's the other funny thing. I often gotten asked like, yo, Hey, when's a night school going to start using AI? And I'm like, excuse me. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) when are you going to get on the AI, AI bandwagon? I'm like, what you think Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble are inside the machine, like pedaling <laughs> really fast, and they're just like going by themselves? The flip side is gather as much information from the environment as much as possible. So these machines generate over 90 terabytes of data a year and they can read license plates, they can detect a person. Some of them have facial recognition. We can done thermal scan of the environment. They can make announcements. Hey, it's 222 in the morning, you're trespassing, we're calling the authorities. There's a distress button on the back. So like for the one in New York City that we just put there with the support of the mayor and the NYPD, the button goes straight to NYC 311 and they get connected to a live human in case, you know, there's an immediate emergency. And, And that's just kind of like the beginning. So like I said, over time, you need to be able to get these machines to see, feel, hear, smell and speak. And that's not rocket science. It's people, cash and time.
2: There you go. People, cash and time. Who is your target audience? I mean, I know it's like law enforcement and security guard companies and so forth, but private business as well. I mean
0: Target audience for what? For the subscription to the machines, target audience in terms of investors, target audience in terms of moving the conversation. Like you gotta you gotta give okay, me a little bit target
2: audience for the machines. Let's start there first, because now you have several and I wanna know them all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, so target audience for the machines. Pretty much anywhere you might see an officer or guard patrolling is an opportunity. If you go to nightscope.com, you can see all the verticals that we're primarily focused on. But it ranges anywhere from commercial real estates to corporate campuses, a lot of hospitals, a lot of casinos, law enforcement agencies, apartment complexes, HOA, et cetera. And then, you know, now we're starting to, you know, work more with, with law enforcement. And we're also hopefully here getting close to landing our first authority to operate with the U.S. federal government.
2: Fantastic. Okay, who are the target audiences for investors?
0: Investors. This one's hard, but because I've talked to investors that are in their 90s who are appalled at what's going on and want something better for the next generation, I've talked to 12, 15, 17-year-old kids who have had enough of the school violence and have literally cornered their parents to to write a check and everything in between. You know, we have judges that have been investors of ours, former NYPD detectives, FBI, CIA, DHS, bus drivers. Like, it's a cross-section of America across the entire political spectrum. Whichever way you want to cut it you know, if you're a digital marketer, like who's your audience? Like, uh, the whole country. Your audience is Um,
1: Americans.
0: (laughs) I think if I were to attempt to bundle them somehow, I think I've spent enough time with enough investors that I would say there's, I would say three crowds and this is not exact. So the first crowd I think are technologists, Mm -hmm. roboticists, AI engineers, people that just geeking out on technology, basically. Then there's the, loosely call them the patriots, ex-military, law enforcement, are flag-waving patriots who really want something better for for the country and are unhappy with the status quo. And then the third one is probably just cold financial greed, which is basically, okay, so you've got a company that's at at the intersection of four really important technologies, just, just from a cold financial perspective. They're focused on AI, robotics, autonomy, and electric vehicle technology. I think the next 5, 10, 15 years, it's kind of all of them are going to be important. And literally, Knights Ghost is working on all of them and has product in the in the field. It's not a science fair project, right? Second, they're working on the probably the most important problem facing the country. And if they solve it, there's probably an, a huge upside opportunity. And then for those that are just looking at the the stock price are going, well, at least in my opinion, I, can, I think I can say this, I think it's massively undervalued for, for what we're doing. And that's why I still hold my 7 million shares from the inception of the, the company. I haven't sold a single share, including in the public listing, and don't plan to. My entire net worth is in Nightscope, scope, and that's how much of a bet I'm willing to, to place that I know my team and I are right. And so I'm, I'm pretty bullish and excited about the, the future, but this is not easy. This has been brutal to get the company built. And most startups, as you know, 95% fail. The statistical probability of you founding a company, getting it funded, growing it, taking it public, buying another company and still be standing is kind of slim. Less than 1% chance of that happening. But we're here. And to top it off for the finance people, is like we're growing double digits. We did maybe 3.4 million in sales in 21 and 22. We did about 5.6 million. This year, we're on track for about 12 million. So we're in double digit growth. Like, okay, you got a company that's at the importance of technology, the market they're going after is never going to collapse, and they're growing in double digits. Like, you know, maybe I should take a look at it.
2: (laughs) Maybe I should. You know, you mentioned it was brutal. When was the like epiphany for you? When did you say, that's it? I got to do something about this.
0: I think it was probably two moments. I was born in New York City, as you probably know, and someone hit my town on 9-11. And at that time, I committed that I was going to spend the rest of my life better securing our country. And so that's why I'm willing to do the irrational, illogical, sometimes stupid things to force this to happen. Anyone else would have just frankly would have quit by now. If we frankly would have been funded by a bunch of VCs, they probably would have shut us down four or five times before the company got listed. They would never have allowed someone to do what we did to to get here. So that, that was one motivator. And then Sandy Hook, that was just, you know, the original management team is still the same management team today. And that was enough. And I'm upset that it's over 10 years now and we're still having the same problem. If anything, it's gotten worse.
2: Yeah. Those are definitely two defining moments. Okay, so where do you see the future of Nightscope?
0: I think long term, we have a chance to build a $30 billion company that, that kind of looks like a defense contractor. But instead of focusing on the Department of Defense, we're focused on the Department of Justice, Homeland Security, the 19,000 law enforcement agencies, and 8,000 private security firms, and providing them unbelievable technologies for them to massively improve their performance and do it in a way that can help society and for students and for parents and for faculty to be really focused on the more important things of life. Everyone's kind of always worried about the robots and like, oh, the robots are coming. They're going to kill everyone, take everyone's job. And I'm like, you know, frankly, where I sit, and this may sound humorous, it's, it's not. It's like, I worry about the humans. You should be a worried about time, the humans. You have a property crime occur in this country every four seconds a violent crime every 26 seconds, and you're worried about the robots? I think you're kind of placing the emphasis in the wrong area. We kind of need to change how we police, how we do public safety, how we do security. And if people don't think I'm serious, I've already dedicated uh, more than a decade on this. I'm prepared to spend another one, two, or three decades to force this to happen. And probably shouldn't bet against a Nightscope team and you shouldn't bet against kind of what we're doing.
2: I absolutely love how dauntless you are and how much you really, really, really want to help. Okay. I have a personal question for you because you uh, mentioned, uh, <laughs> well, you mentioned you're exhausted and you mentioned you're relentless and you know, you're doing everything possible to make this go and you're going to make it go. But what do you do outside of your night scope time? What are your crazy passions? Do you have any?
0: I, I've said this more than a few times. My wife says I'm possessed and I, I do still have a need to take a break sometimes and just be the couch potato or pick up the guitar and play a little bit, but I don't have time for that. And even when I am taking a break, I'm not. And it's kind of messed up. Like, you got to have a screw loose to be doing this in the first place. Like any founder, I think that's why kind of we all relate to each other. Like, there's something wrong with you. You want to get punched in the face on an hourly basis and then get up in the next morning and keep doing it. Or as I often joke, like the founder's diet. Founders diet is punched in the face for breakfast, kicked in the stomach for lunch, body slam for dinner, then get up the next morning, all smiley and get on a little podcast and keep chatting about what you're trying to do. Like,
2: and get the message it, out.
0: Yeah. And, and still get the message out. And everyone's telling you no all day long. And you got to somehow have the energy to keep going.
2: I just want to acknowledge you. That's badass. Thank you.
0: I don't know about that. I, I really care about what we're doing. This is not easy. We can't do it by ourselves and take a moment to thank all our investors because without you we literally couldn't have built this you you've physically fueled our ambitions and your part and parcel helped build nightscope and without that capital we can't we can't continue to to grow the company so we're eternally grateful because you're part of the solution and instead of sitting on the sidelines complaining and whining why things don't work i'd rather spend the time on on fixing the problem but you know when i say i'm possessed it's like I can't sit still and watch a movie properly, big Star Wars fan or watch Mandalorian or whatever's going on. And I'm like sitting there going, oh, that's cool. Maybe we could build a building like that. Or, <laughs> hey, that that architecture, no, that surface treatment on that robot's... Oh, interesting color combination. Like I'm paying attention, but I'm not. And it's, it's kind of messed up.
2: I love it. I actually love it. You're a pioneer. You have arrows in your back and you're going to keep going.
0: When we started, I was seven feet tall. Trust me, I was seven feet tall. I'm four foot nine now.
2: (laughs) So last question before we wrap up, What what is the message you want to get out to Americans about this? Food for thought.
0: Fight back. Enough is enough. We have a chance to fix the problem. You have it in you to be able to tell everyone you know about Nightscope. You can figure out how to support what we're doing. If you want to learn more about nightscope.com? You can go to nightscope.com/rise r i s e and you can get a good understanding of where we've been and kind of where we're going. But you, the public, are the ones that are going to enable and be the catalyst for this change. We're not going to do this with hundred people on my team here in Silicon Valley building new technologies and also think that the entire country is going to change how they do things by ourselves. It's not going to work. And I got criticized heavily. On Wall Street, by like the manner in which we raised a bunch of capital to get all this done. Who are these 35,000 people? Like in a very dismissive tone, they must be driving you crazy. And I'm like, well, first of all, you have no idea who you're speaking about. Second, these people actually really care and they put their money where their mouth is. Third, you think that four institutional investors in some ivory tower are going to force a change across the country? No not going to happen. You're going to need that city council member to help. You're going to need that mayor to help. You need that community leader to help. Yeah, you actually need the bus driver who's going to tell all these people about what's going on to help. You actually need that social worker to help. You need that student to say enough is enough. You need that school administrator to say enough is enough. Like You're not going to do this by yourself. And again, unless you have clarity of mission of what you're trying to do, you're not going to be able to force a change. And you're going to have to bring a huge cast of characters with you. 35,000 is a great start. We need a million supporters to get this change done.
2: Totally got it. That's beautiful. That's also what makes you relentless.
0: So, how do people get a hold uh, of you, Bill? Easy is <laughs> on, on, on X. I'm at uh, W. Lee, or if you, uh, I get a lot of LinkedIn requests, but if you, Put in the LinkedIn request and put the ticker symbol KSCP in it, I'll, I'll accept it.
2: Yes. And you're very gracious about that and love to communicate your message. Thank you so much.
0: I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. And oh. as I often say, don't forget long night scope and short the criminals.
2: That's awesome. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now.
1: Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal health care or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.